Hail brothers, this is Didact with another domain query, this time from, actually, like the last several times, from uh, our longtime reader and friend of the site, uh, Randall E6. And this one is titled, Fake It Till You Make It. Very warm welcome to all of my longtime listeners and longtime readers from the website. Longtime listeners from Podbean, thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, as always, I very much appreciate your patronage. Uh, please feel free to like, comment, share, and especially subscribe if you've not done so already. Uh, there should be a link to a buy me a coffee thing somewhere in the uh, description box uh, for the podcast or on the, 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 the post on the website. And uh, you know, if you like what I do, uh, feel free to uh, put in a comment, feel free to drop in a donation if you feel like it. It's not a requirement. Uh, by any means, but it uh, does help provide an incentive to keep things going. I am actually way overdue for another Didactic Mind podcast. Um, just been trying to sort through my thoughts to figure out what to say because things are getting so weird so quickly. But um, in this specific uh, domain query, Randall E6 wanted me to ask, uh, address the, the question of Natural versus artificial charisma. And he provided a couple of good examples uh, where he uh, tried to summarize what he thinks artificial charisma is versus what natural charisma is. And he provided a couple of good video examples showing this. So for artificial charisma, this is about being more charismatic than you naturally are. Uh, it involves studying the rhetorical and dialectical arts, seeking advantages provided by the environment and or the audience and preparing ahead of time. And the example that you get is a video of Mark uh, Zuckerberg, the Zuckerbot, from Facebookenwald, uh, trying to speak Mandarin in public, which she actually does. And then you have natural charisma, which is innate, often marked by the person's ability to improvise and, as they say, fly by the seat of my pants, often without any apparent effort or preparation. And the example video is the 2016 Republican debate a.k.a. Trump abusing rhinos for sport. And the, it's an open-ended question as to you know, how you get from one to the other. Uh, my view on it as someone who has had to develop natural charisma over time, and that's not really a contradiction in terms, if you think about it, uh, is you can actually develop charisma. It's something you can train. It's hard to do. But there are ways of doing it. And it, for men at least, is something you can train and build on like any other skill or any other aspect of personality. It is something you can grow. But you will always have a deficiency relative to the naturals who just have it on command, on demand, and are able to just bring it forth without problems, without without even thinking about it. They, they just have it. Um, with th There is definitely a spectrum uh, in the sense that charisma varies depending on how introverted or extroverted you are. You will typically find the more charismatic people are typically the extroverted types. The alpha males are almost always highly extroverted and highly... Um, sort of out there and able to project things and, and do things in a, in, a, in, a, in a very charismatic way. I mean, charisma is a natural part of being an alpha. 
if you don't have some degree of natural charisma, you cannot be an alpha uh, in the social sexual hierarchy. It's just not possible. And charisma, I mean, you ha we have to start by defining charisma. And it's, it's almost oxymoronic to say it uh, because most of us know and understand what charisma is. But if you want a simple definition, you can start with you know, a dictionary definition, such as charisma being a special power that some people have naturally, that's debatable, but naturally, that makes them able to influence other people and attract their attention and admiration. And what you will typically find is the people who are the most... Uh, naturally charismatic are also the ones that score the highest on the dark triad traits. This is, this is an observation that I have, which just says, or the dark tetrad, if you will, that says people who score very high in uh, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, I forget. Uh, 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 psychopathy, that's it. They, they are often the most naturally charismatic in many ways. Why is that? Narcissism, I mean, charisma requires an ability to influence other people. And to do so, you have to be able to project an aura of power and an invincibility. And doing so naturally requires you to be a bit self-centered. I mean, it's a fact. Uh, you have to be a bit arrogant. You have to be a bit selfish. And that means a high degree of narcissism. You also have to be able to recognize the power you wield. And you have to be willing to use it. Uh, charisma is useless if you're not aware of it. And you're not aware of the power you have and you don't exercise it. If you don't exercise power, you effectively don't have it. And this should be intuitively obvious. So... It is, an, it is very much an aspect of the Machiavellianism that many people have. And as for psychopathy, well, those who have psychopathic traits tend to have the ability to manipulate people very effectively. And that also should not surprise you because psychopaths have a very cold and calculating approach to other people. They don't have emotions the way most people do. They don't feel... Uh, guilt or sorrow or anger the way most of us do. They view people as disposable instruments. And I keep saying they for a very good reason. I score very low on the psychopathy side of things because I have actually a very high degree of empathy, believe it or not, uh, whenever I've taken these tests. So me, now, when it comes to the natural charismatic versus the uh, trained charismatic. Is there a difference? Well, of course there is, by definition. If you look at um, alphas in particular, they, they always have an in, innate sense of charisma that just comes from being raised as alphas. They, as the alpha males in the pack in society, uh, they, have, they, they have almost been brought up with this innate self-belief in their own Primacy, and that's a good thing. I mean, it, it, is, it is a good thing on balance that they have this sense of self. They're very, very self-confident, very articulate, very capable of uh, communicating a message in a very clear and precise way. And 
the alphas that come to mind, of course, are Donald Trump, who is an ur-alpha. I mean, he is the alpha among alphas. And Ronald Reagan, the ur-alpha, the silverback alpha before Donald Trump came along. Now, why is that? Uh, if you look at Reagan, for example, uh, he had just this incredible magnetism, this, this, this personality that was larger than life. And it was very common for him to walk into a room full of generals and admirals and very, very high-powered congressmen and senators, all of them alpha males, all of them, to a man, alpha males. And they would be kind of jockeying and vying for power, and then he would walk in. And it was like they were tripping over themselves. You know, they were like giddy schoolgirls around the, the, the high school jock. And that is the quality of a silverback alpha. Here's the interesting thing about Reagan, though. And this is my point about how you can train charisma. Reagan got that way over the course of nearly 50 years of acting and honing his message. It's very important to understand this. Reagan was the high school quarterback at his high school. He went to some no-name university in... Uh, I'm, just, I'm not being disparaging, it's just, it's just a fact. He, the university he went to is, is one that almost nobody will recognize. But he then blew into Hollywood looking for leading man roles as an actor, and he actually had some minor success. But he never became a true leading man. He never became anyone on the order of a Jimmy Stewart or uh, an Errol Flynn or any great movie star of that time period. Never, ever. Even though he was good friends with quite a few of the, the, the top leading men of his time. So something was missing from his overall toolkit that stopped him from being that magnetic screen presence that got him the girls and the money and the fame and the you know, the, the, everything else that came along with being the uber-alpha on the silver screen. So he retreated into the world of sort of daytime television commercials. I mean, it was death for a silver screen actor. Uh, he'd been weighed, he'd been measured, and he'd been found wanting in the calculus of the Hollywood system. Then, over time, he started hanging out with... Um, Jack Warner, uh, as I recall, uh, and the head of, I think it was the head of GE at the time, actually, uh, whose name I've, of course, forgotten. If you, if you want the details on this, go read Peter Schwartz's book, Reagan's War. Uh, superb book, phenomenal, superlative, absolutely highly recommended. I love that book. Uh, I've read it at least twice. And it talks about his sort of screen time life after he wrapped up his, his big roles as like uh, 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 Captain George Custer and a few other things, uh, you know, he, 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 as the Gipper. Uh, that's where he got his nickname as the Gipper, and you know, he got a couple of other nicknames as Dusty and other things of that sort. But then he spent years, and I mean years, honing a message uh, of political conservatism, of, of real national conservatism on the nationwide lecture circuit. And he would go around, you know, just talking to people. He would go around talking to GE employees and he would just figure out how to deliver a simple pitch and a simple message. 
And he really learned how to communicate during those years that he was sort of, you know, meandering around the country in the company of GE executives. And that is where his New Deal liberalism sort of fell away. And he moved away from the Democrat Party and became a Republican. And you see the, the culmination of that effort at the 1964 Republican National Convention speech that he gave, October, I think, 27th, 1964. And he was campaigning on behalf of Barry Goldwater. Everyone remembers this as just the speech. Everybody remembers this as his almost political emergence on the scene. Uh, the speech has been retroactively titled A Time for Choosing, and it is one of the finest political speeches you will ever hear. Almost every single phrase, every single sentence is solid, rock solid, uh, so powerfully delivered that you, know, you, could, you could practically uh, cut it up and eat it as food. It is that strong. And yet, everything he'd, he said in that speech was the product of stuff that he'd been saying for years before. All he'd done was synthesize it and hone the messages that he'd been delivering for many, many years before that. He wrote out his speeches longhand on index cards. And people have been, you know, Reagan scholars have been analyzing these for years, ever since he died, and actually before that. Uh, and, and they've been trying to understand how he became such a great communicator. Well, this is how. Because he trained himself to be a great communicator. And he trained that, that eloquence and that power and that oratory. And it also came from his extensive reading. Because Reagan, believe it or not, despite all of the, the myths and legends surrounding him, was a voracious reader. He could quote from memory entire passages of Whitaker Chambers' book, Witness. And he, he could, I mean, for him it was like this, this, this um, political conversion from a, a hardcore communist to uh, a devoted anti-radical, as it were, uh, an anti-communist uh, on the part of Whitaker Chambers. And he would, you know, read Thucydides, he would read Plutarch, he would read... Uh, Greek and Roman histories. He would read histories of Europe. He would read Churchill's books. This was an incredibly well-read, autodidactic man who understood the value of learning and teaching. And by the time he appeared as California governor, you know, shortly after the 1964 speech, which was, uh, what was it, 1968, I think, uh, he ran for governor and 1972 as well, one re-election. Uh, that eloquence combined with his innate personal courage, and he had tremendous courage, make no mistake, he was an incredibly brave man, uh, combined to turn him into the silverback alpha that he eventually became very obviously on the national stage. So you can see, while some alpha, well, most alphas are born with a degree of natural charisma. Bringing it to its full fruition requires training and it requires time. So how do you become like that? Well, Zuckerberg is probably not a good example because Zuckerberg is essentially uh, a, a serious omega uh, raised to, well, not a, I mean, he's not an alpha, but 
by any means. He's by no means an alpha, but I don't even know how, what to call him because he's so far out of his sort of sociosexual range. I don't even know how to, how to think of him. Uh, he's a multi-gazillionaire, yes, but at heart, he has never stopped being either an omega or a gamma. I mean, the best you can call him is a gamma. If you look at his, uh, who, whom he's married, if you look at the way he behaves in public, he's completely stunted in terms of sociosexual development. No, there's no doubt or question about that. There's a, you know, there's a story about him meeting uh, President uh, Xi Jinping uh, of China. And uh, it, it just looks ridiculous because he's so completely tone deaf uh, to, to social conventions that he like basically says he would name his unborn child after whatever uh, President Xi uh, wanted to say, you know, as, as a, like a, whatever name he suggested. And President Xi being a very, an extremely intelligent man, uh, very wisely said no. Zuckerberg is a great example of what not to be if you want to develop charisma. Uh, everything he does looks forced, very awkward, very stilted, stunted. It doesn't look natural. And you can tell he's not really capable of putting in the work and practicing to become good at being charismatic. This is hard. And I'll explain to you my own background in this to give you some sense of how much work it takes. 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, actually, when I started my sort of professional endeavors and uh, as a student and kind of trying to move into the, the working world, I mean, I was publicly very awkward. I, I had a very difficult time dealing with people in public. I was never comfortable in crowds, didn't like, didn't really like public speaking, didn't like being around people. Um, and I never really had the ability to speak fluidly and fluently. I couldn't present things well. Uh, my presentations were very boring. I would obsess on details. I wouldn't get to the core message quickly. I didn't know how to speak in public, and I wasn't comfortable doing it. Fast forward to the present day. I have absolutely no issue standing in front of dozens or hundreds of people. I have no problem giving speeches. I have no problem projecting my voice out. No problem speaking off the cuff. No problem thinking on my feet. Most of my podcasts that I do are completely extempore. I don't think them... I mean, I have a basic plan in my head that says this is what I think I'm going to talk about. But I don't have a direct script written out. I don't read from a script. Uh, and that, how did that happen? Well, it happened through, firstly, almost daily writing, where because I've written for so many years, I mean, the, 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 the site and the blog before it combined have existed for almost, actually over 11 years at this point. So I forced myself through the process of writing to generate ideas and structure them and put them down in a way that would make sense to other people to read. And it, it is very good training. I mean, you have to force yourself to really think through an idea. And you have to force yourself to come up with a beginning, a middle, and an end. You need to develop the skill to be a storyteller. 
And this is hard. It's genuinely very hard work. And most people can't do it. They can't stick with it. So if you have the consistency to write every day or almost every day, and you have the ability to structure your thoughts in such a way that you can write big blocks of text, uh, text without running over or repeating yourself, you develop the ability to structure your ideas automatically, on the fly almost. And you can get your brain going and figure things out almost off the cuff. Then I started doing the podcast, which was, when was it? About three, no, four years ago, something like that. I think it was, I think it was, um, I can't actually remember. I think it was 2019. Uh, it might have been a little bit earlier than that. But basically, I, uh, no, it was, it was before that. It was 2018. Uh, I started up a podcast in 2018, and that's been going for over five years now, right? So having to speak into a podcast and structure your ideas on the fly on a podcast helps you develop that pace and that erudition, the diction, the precision of speech and thought that makes you naturally charismatic. Now, it doesn't hurt that, of course, I have a very interesting accent, and that's not my opinion of myself. That's what other people tell me, because I've lived in so many different places. And as I've aged, I've come to understand that Uh, those experiences and that rather unique perspective on things gives me the ability to speak to others about almost anything. Uh, I don't, I'm not restricted in terms of my ability to talk to people because in some ways I can relate to almost anyone uh, across almost any geography. Not quite, but pretty close. So it's very easy for me if I need to, to have a conversation with people about their backgrounds. And that partly comes from my experience, partly comes from my business training, partly comes from my professional background, but it all comes down to a unique set of skills that nonetheless you as the listener can replicate. It really comes down to pushing yourself out of your comfort zone once in a while to talk to people and to have short conversations with them and to understand what interests them. And this is where introverts have something of an advantage, actually, because we're very good at listening. We're not so good at talking. So when you listen more than you talk, you absorb the ideas and you kind of file the data away in your head. And you can use that data to develop a mental model, a framework of sorts that you can then bring to bear in everyday life. Now, you will never, as a result of this, be the equivalent of, let's say, a Conor McGregor. It's not going to happen. Uh, Conor is just this larger-than-life personality who's very extroverted, very, very in-your-face, very alpha male. He's got this swagger and this sort of this physicality about him that comes from being, uh, well, once upon a time, one of the best in the world. I've always disliked his style in the sense that I've always found it to be more flash than, than substance. But there was no question back when he defeated uh, Jose Aldo with that 13-second knockout with just one massive left hook, there was no question. His precision and timing were the best in the business, and he knew it. So he had that innate self-belief that propelled him to alpha male status, but it was always a flash in the pan. Whereas if you look at another great example, 
President Vladimir Putin. Here is an example of a sigma. Not an alpha male, not at all. Doesn't pretend to be an alpha. He doesn't have the size of an alpha. He doesn't have the, the outsized personality of an alpha. But no one, absolutely no one, doubts that he is the MFIC. Absolutely no one questions his authority as a leader. He is, the interesting thing about Putin is, despite being a sigma, he is not disruptive. He is, uh, in many ways, a continuation of a tradition that goes back to the Tsarish Russia. He is, I mean, I call him the Neo-Tsar for a reason, because he is basically a Tsar. He is a king. So his archetype of a leader is exactly the same as what you'd expect to find in somebody like Tsar Alexander III uh, or, you know, Ivan Grozny. Or, uh, by the way, Grozny does not mean terrible necessarily. Grozny actually in Russian means formidable. So when people say Ivan the Terrible, it's a little bit of a mistranslation. In a lot of ways, he wasn't as terrible as people think he was. Uh, Ivan the Formidable is probably the right way to think of him. Or Pyotr Pirvi, uh, Pyotr Veliki, uh, Peter the Great. Right? Men like that, men of unquestioned power and authority. And Putin, despite being actually quite short, he's not a tall man. Despite being not very physically imposing, he's really not a big muscular dude, even though he's actually really strong. Uh, if you watched him manhandle people around on the judo mat, you know he's really ridiculously strong. But he, he exudes this calmness and this authority and this absolute, like, almost lethal uh, capability, competence, and confidence. You can't buy that. You have to learn it. And Putin is a very, very interesting case in point. If you look at his life, he started out as like the, the, the archetypical gray man, you know, the, the, the KGB agent who disappeared into the woodwork and you had no idea where he was, what he was doing. He never showed himself in public. Little known fact about Putin, he didn't want the job of prime minister of Russia. He wasn't interested. He didn't want power. And he actually said to Yeltsin at the time, look, can't you find somebody better? I mean, I'm not suited to this job. This is, you, you want me to be a public face? I'm, I'm not that guy. I, you know, I, I'm not the kind of guy who, who is, is good at being what you need as a prime minister. And Putin said to, uh, sorry, Yeltsin said to Putin, listen, you're the only one in this entire government who doesn't have the stink of corruption around him. You're the only one that can go to the Russian public and the people and present yourself as somebody who isn't one of the oligarchs, who doesn't come from money, who didn't corrupt himself. And they, I can't do that. No one else in my government can. I mean, I'm paraphrasing quite a bit, but this is essentially what he said. And Putin accepted the position with great reluctance. He never wanted to be president. He never wanted to be prime minister. But he became that man. And if you read and watch his speeches, as I have, I've studied Putin for years now, not to the depth that perhaps I should, but I have studied him. And you watch particularly his speeches early in his career, and you compare them with what happened in, at Munich, the Munich Security Conference in 2007, and then you compare his speeches in subsequent years, particularly after 2014, and you look at his public appearances, the man has changed dramatically. 
if you look at him in the early years, he was you know, very a bit hesitant, a bit soft-spoken, didn't really, didn't really engage much with questions, looked a bit out of place, didn't seem to understand, you know, how to be powerful. Look at him 20 years later. This guy is, is silverback alpha, absolute 800-pound gorilla who walks in the room. Everybody pays attention to him. Everybody respects him. Doesn't matter where he is. It doesn't matter if he's around, you know, the Chinese leader or the Indian leader or the, all of the, all of the African leaders. Everybody, everyone respects him immediately. Now, part of that comes from being the, the leader of the world's most powerful military. Uh, part of it comes from being the leader of the world's largest country. But make no mistake, he has achieved that level of respect because of what he's done. And also because of the way he carries himself and how he's trained himself over the last 20 years to become that charismatic alpha. But it didn't come naturally to him. He had to train it. This is the key lesson that people should take away from this debate on natural versus artificial charisma. The naturals are like uh, innately talented athletes. Uh, take a Roger Federer, for example. Uh, Federer's natural grace and athleticism is impossible to replicate. There is no one on this earth who can do what Federer did during his career. No one. No one has that level of beautiful shot making that just comes out of like nowhere. I mean, he just pulled off like impossible angles and impossible shots that should not be physically possible at all. It's like he just breaks the laws of, uh, of physics on a routine basis. If you watched him at his prime, and even on, you know, as he was declining towards the end of his career, he was still able to pull off shots that you were just like, that is not, that, that cannot be physically possible. But he made it happen. Novak Djokovic, who actually has more grand slams than Federer does, is a much uglier player to watch when he's playing. Djokovic is just a, a physical beast. He's a, he's a specimen. He just runs and runs and runs and runs, and he wears you down. Uh, similar with uh, Nadal, for example. But Djokovic in sort of 2005, 2006, that up until about 2008, was actually mentally quite weak. And he would like throw matches and just, you know, dog entire matches and refuse to play. And he would blame things like, I've got a sore throat and I'm not feeling well, and yeah, 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 whatever. He was very mercurial, very temperamental. Look at him today. After all of those years of constant winning and grinding and repetition and training and reinventing his style, changing his, his, his service motion, changing the way he approaches things, I, I mean, he is arguably, and I do think arguably, because I, I will always be a Federer fan, arguably the greatest player of all time. How did that happen? Longevity, experience, skill, training. It, he doesn't have the natural grace of a Federer. He can't. No one can. But he has the commitment and the physical fitness and the longevity required to become what Federer couldn't. And that's the key. So when you're trying to develop charisma as someone who may not have it innately, understand there are things you can do. Understand it is a grind that you have to put in the work. You have to put in the effort to become charismatic, but you can do it. And 
while it will never come naturally to you the way it will to an extroverted alpha male, it is possible to build up that skill set over time. It's just like going to the gym, just like working out, just like reading a book or developing your coding skills as a Python programmer or you know any other programmer, really. It's like anything else. It's something you can train. You will never be as good as the people to whom it comes completely naturally, the, the savants, the, 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 the Donald Trumps of this world. But you won't be far behind. And over time, as you gain skill and experience and you gain practice at being a charismatic personality, and a lot of it just comes from, you know, looking decent. You don't have to look like a, 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 a male model, but have a decent physique. I mean, the Neo Tsar, again, short balding dude in his 70s. He looks like a grandpa. Well, he is a grandpa, actually. Uh, is he? Uh, well, he's certainly a dad. I don't know if he's a granddad. Uh, he might be. But anyway, he looks like a grandpa. Um, again, nobody questions. He is the MFIC. No one, no one in his right mind questions that. It comes from keeping yourself in decent shape. It comes from having the ability to push yourself out of your comfort zone when, when the need arises. And it comes from having that confidence, that quiet confidence that comes from practice. Start a podcast, start a website, write for yourself. I mean, these are the things that worked for me. Learn how to speak in public. I, I used to do speed dating back in the day. It sucked, but it was actually a useful training ground. Uh, it absolutely sucked because I met a lot of horrible women. But use that as a way to push yourself beyond what you think is possible. Take up a martial art. Learn how to become friends with real men uh, because that will help you develop your story. Travel. Uh, read books. Read lots of books. Read, read great books, not, you know, trash um, on Kindle Unlimited, but read genuinely great books of genuinely great men and learn from them. Above all, learn how to hone your message like Reagan did, like Putin has done. Learn how to become uh, the voice of wisdom and sanity in a world gone mad. Learn how to become that sort of that rock who radiates competence and power in your organization. And as you build those skills and you build that wisdom and that presence, you will very quickly find yourself developing a sense of charisma and a sense of innate power that you can't buy, that no one can give you, but it's something you've developed yourself and it's your own signature imprint. And I think, honestly, that's the way you develop these things. That's the way you become more powerful, more charismatic. Um, you know, I've done things in the last couple of years that if you'd asked me five years before that, whether I'd even be willing to do it, you know, speaking in public and stuff like that, I'm not going to go into details because, well, that's a different story. Um, but... I've done things in the last several years that have made me more capable of being that charismatic man. And it's, it shows, you know, it's, uh, it's something I can recognize for myself. So anyway, I'll wrap it up here. Uh, I think that's, that's plenty of advice to go on. 
thank you very much as always for listening. I really do appreciate it. And uh, as always, feel free to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Feel free to use the buy me a coffee link uh, down below. And uh, yeah, hope you find this useful and feel free to drop in any follow-up comments or questions in the chat, in the, the, the comment section. Uh, that's it from me, Strength and Honor Brothers. This has been Didactic Mind, uh, sorry, Domain Query, uh, Fake It Till You Make It. And this is Didact, signing off.